0: Hey, I'm Lead Pastor Noel Peekras and welcome to the Exeter Valley Church Podcast. Our church plant started in 2021 with the goal of seeing God's kingdom extended in our hometown. If you're curious about Jesus, looking for a home in the family of God, or feel called to be a part of a kingdom expansion in Exeter, California, we'd love to have you join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. in the Veterans Memorial Building at 324 North Kaweah Avenue. For more information, head on over to www.exetervalleychurch.com or find us on social media. Thanks for listening. This morning's uh, sermon title is Taming the Gift of Tongues. And uh, this is part two in a series that I'm preaching in uh, out of the book of 1 Corinthians, chapters 12, 13, and 14. And we've been calling this series uh, Unpacking the Gifts. And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to unpack the gifts of the spirit as taught by the apostle paul in first corinthians 12 13 and 14. and uh obviously last time i talked about uh specifically chapter 12 and 13 that the idea that god has given these gifts to his church these gifts the gifts of the spirit are from god and the intent of these gifts is not for our own platforming or our own glory or attention grabbing but the intent of these gifts is for the building up of the church. So these gifts are from God, and they're for the good of others. And this is why we talked about the chapter thirteen love chapter. These gifts are given in love, or they're being they're being um they're best used uh, when they're used as a way of loving others. Well, today, we're going to break down uh, chapter fourteen. Now, chapter fourteen is all about the gift of tongues and the gift of prophecy, and uh, today I'm going to be talking about the gift of tongues. Now tongues is a, um, uh, it's one of the more uh, contentious gifts or the more debated gifts of the spirit. And so I just want to start by just encouraging you like, hey, we're just going to have a conversation uh, about what the Bible says about the gift of tongues. And uh, if you feel a little uncomfortable, you might be like pretty normal I don't think you'd be the only person that feels a little bit uncomfortable. And I know that we all bring in you know, our own background, and maybe you've seen misuse before. Um, maybe you've seen right use uh, before. That'd be great. I would wish that for all of us. But I just wanted to start by just letting everyone take a deep breath. <laughs> we, we trust God's Word, and we're going to go to God's Word and see what God's Word has to say so i did want to start though by telling a bit of my own personal story you know as you guys have heard me say before i i grew up in a more stoic church you know i grew up in a mennonite brethren church and uh the gift of tongues the gift of prophecy these gifts were not on display every day in the church uh that i grew up with so i had very little background in these gifts um up until about 2010 when megan and i started attending uh radiant church in visalia and uh it was a few years after maybe a year or two uh, we had been attending there that we p- participated in a conference called Cleansing Streams, which if you're familiar with the name, Jack Hayford, this was a Jack Hayford um, conference. And the idea of the conference was, that, um, it w- was to pursue a deliverance from different spiritual strongholds. Um, in your life. And so we went down to LA and uh, we prayed over all these different areas in our lives where maybe we had given um, evil spirits a bit of a foothold. Anyway, uh, conference was great. I believe in deliverance ministry. It was a great conference. But what I wanted to talk about was uh, on the way down, uh, some of the friends that we were riding with were just talking about what we were hoping to see happen that weekend. And several of them were saying uh, that they were really Going to that conference hoping to see God give them the gift of tongues, and I remember a conversation in that car ride where uh, they asked me, "What are you hoping to see God do?" And at that time in my life, I said, "Hey, I don't really know much about the gift of tongues. I'm not really that drawn to the gift of tongues. Actually." um if i was going to get a supernatural gift i would like to have the gift of healing Uh, basically the ability to pray for people and see god heal them which i know is a gift uh, of god it would not be of course my own power that would do the healing um but but i was more drawn to that type of miraculous gift than i was the gift of tongues and in fact um you guys know glenn power friend of ours uh, from radiant church bible instructor um, been on our podcast he's taught here at exeter valley church uh, Glenn and I were in a car ride, um, a f- I don't know, months later, probably. We were riding up to Heartland Christian Camp together, I think for man camp. And uh, I I knew Glenn to be a man of the word, a theologian, and also a man of the spirit. And uh, so I asked Glenn, Glenn, like, like, what's the point of tongues? Like, I'm just not really sure I get it. And uh, Glenn's words to me that day were really what I remember him saying was the um, the ability of the gift of tongues to edify and build up the believer. And um, that stuck with me. Obviously, I'm using it in a sermon. And uh, Glenn's actually going to be on our podcast and talk with me more. And so, you know, those words had a powerful impact uh, on my life. And that kind of, that put tongues in in a framework that felt appealing to me. And so I began to pray um, for that gift. I began to consider uh, whether or not God would would want me to grow in that gift. and and then sometime later, uh, in a prayer meeting with some guys that I really trusted, um, the gift of tongues came to me. and um, that's been a gift that I begin to develop over time. So I guess uh, you know, I, I would say that I grew up in a Stoic background. I had no experience with the gift of tongues. I saw, though, the gift in the Bible and so even before i had the experience of tongues in my life i had a theological framework for the gift of tongues and i was believing for god to do the supernatural if that's what he wanted to do and so i was ready when this gift came to me and as i began to walk uh, in it I, i can remember one example that i wanted to share with you of how the gift was really useful to me i was preaching at radiant church in visalia and um someone came down the aisle um who i knew a person that i knew but it was like when someone comes down the aisle at you and he started talking at me while i was preaching so it was a little bit of a weird experience and this was someone that i knew but he wasn't acting the way i you know i I had experienced him before something was off and it it did seem like something was off for him that day emotionally or mentally and and thankfully another friend came and intercepted him and and you know pastored him and cared for him and it, it was no big deal but i was a little afraid in the moment uh, as he came down the aisle, you know, this day and age, um, y- y- yeah, that kind of stuff is in the back of your mind, I guess. And so I didn't really, um, I, I, without any thought, I began to pray for him. And the language that came to me in prayer for him in that moment was a language of tongues. And it wasn't something I did out like nobody else. I probably even heard me. It was under my breath. But I realized in that moment, like, oh, I think I saw, there was something in my heart that wanted to, like, that I wanted to um, express. Um, there was like a concern for him in my heart. And the way that I spoke it to God didn't even go through my mind. It was just a heart level language. And I think that that's, you know, sort of like what Paul is talking about, probably, when he talks about praying in the spirit. So um, I was like, it clicked for me in that moment, like, oh, okay. Maybe this is what Glenn meant. There's like this way, this personal edification that's happening through the gift of tongues. So maybe you're asking yourself today, like, okay, Noel, there's a lot in the Bible. (laughs) There's even a lot, there's a lot of gifts of the spirit that Paul lists. I think we talked about at least like nine different gifts that Paul talks about in these chapters. So why are you singling out uh, tongues? And and there's a few reasons why I'm singling out tongues today. And, and, And the first is because Paul seems to single out the gift of tongues, he goes right into tongues in this passage. Uh, the second reason is that is I think that it's 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 critically important gift, like understanding the gift of tongues. I think is is critically important in understanding our theological distinctives as a charismatic church, especially in contrast to the Pentecostal stream of um, you know, spirit-filled churches. So we as a charismatic church believe that the tongues are a gift uh, for the church today, but unlike the Pentecostals, uh, we do not believe that the gifts are the sign of salvation. So these are a gift for um, the church today, but not all of us will have them, even those of us who are Christians, right? Those of us who are saved may or may not walk in this gifting. We do not believe that the tongues is the only sign of salvation. So I think that tongues in that regard is just a critically important gift to understand. So that'd be the second reason why I'm singling out tongues. The third reason that I'm singling out tongues is because I think Because of the mysterious nature of this gift, uh, tongues is often like the proverbial uh, baby that gets thrown out with the bathwater when it comes to the miraculous gifts of the Spirit. I have heard many people who've had negative experiences with tongues in one way or another in a church setting who have thus said, therefore all the charismatic gifts are no good because they've seen tongues. Misuse, And so I think that that stewarding the gift of tongues well can hopefully lead us into trust and safety, and therefore, I think, more freedom in experiencing all the gifts that the Spirit of God uh, has for us. So, um, you know, those of you that have been here for a while, you know we've been studying the book of Matthew, two and a half years in the life of our church. And this is like a long break that we've taken. I think we're on like our sixth week away from the book of Matthew. We started with the series on worship uh, during the Advent season, and now I'm, I'm in this series on unpacking um, the gifts. Uh, obviously, the Gospel of Matthew has been awesome because we've been studying the life and ministry of Jesus. But in particular, these last two months, while part of it was just a timing issue, You know, as I've joked, I, I didn't wanna preach uh, about the birth, or I'm sorry, the death of Jesus, when we should be celebrating his birth. Um, So part of it was the timing issue, but but also one of the reasons I wanted to step away from uh, the Gospel of Matthew is because, you know, the Gospels, while they tell us a lot about the life and ministry of Jesus, they don't instruct us a lot about how to be the church. And I thought after two and a half years of being a church, we could use a little more instruction about how to be the church, in particular, um, a particular theological distinctive that defines us as a church. So in order to kind of get more of that, like how to be the church, man, you got to leave the Gospels and go to the Apostle Paul. Paul talks a lot in his letters to these churches about how to be the church. And so um, that's what we're doing. Uh, We've been spending the month of December and now the month of January. But don't worry, we'll get back to the Gospel of Matthew in February, and that'll be fun. Um, So here we are. So um, also, I just wanted to say before we get too far, you know, is I know that, you know, Sometimes the gifts of the spirit get um, lumped into the emotional category. They get taken out of the rational, intellectual category. And I just wanted to say, like, I'm not talking about these gifts because I'm like a feeler, you know. In fact, and, and some of you, because I I have learned to embrace my emotive side, and sometimes be, I get passionate. I'm super intense. Maybe, some of you probably think I'm emotional because I cry occasionally, but ask my wife. I'm actually more of a feeler than I am. I'm, uh, 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 I'm sorry, actually more of a thinker than I am a feeler. And and actually, um, I'd be more prone to just getting intellectual, to go like very linear, formulaic. So I don't think that I'm I'm leaning into this direction because I'm a feeler first and foremost. I mean, to be honest, like it'd be more comfortable probably for me to just like boom stick to the the word of god to be a little bit more linear but my my call is to go and make disciples of all nations right baptizing them but also teaching them to obey everything that jesus has commanded that the word of god has commanded and so i want to be faithful to preach the whole counsel of scripture. So even whether I feel it or think it, either way, I wanna be faithful to the call to teach and uh, obedience. So let's review 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. Remember, Paul wrote this letter to these house churches in Corinth. These letters, there's two letters to the Corinthians in the New Testament. We we think because of the evidence in 1 Corinthians that there, there probably were, was even another letter, but it, in any case, it seems to be a bit of a back and forth that's happening between the Corinthian churches and Paul. And it seems as if they're asking Paul about these spiritual gifts. So we kind of are walking into a conversation that's already been taking place. Now, uh, the Corinthian church was, um, it seems to be a church that had quite a few problems. Uh, now, I don't know why they had so many problems, but you could guess that one of the reasons they may have had so many problems is because the city of Corinth was known for its depravity. And I, and I mentioned this last time, but there was a term uh, used to describe uh, someone who was from Corinth, and it was derogatory, right? So um, the the, uh, the thing that comes up, though, in this letter that's really interesting is that Paul is not um, speaking to people who are not practicing the gifts of the Spirit. He actually assumes that they are practicing the gifts of the Spirit. So it's not that they're not practicing the gifts of the Spirit. The issue in this church is not that these, these gifts aren't being demonstrated. It's that they're misusing the gifts of the Spirit and namely, uh, the gift of tongues. It's, it seems that they have turned the, this gift into a selfish display of spiritual power or spiritual superiority, even. So Paul's role in this conversation is to correct their misuse of the gifts of the Spirit, Okay, in particular, the gift of tongues. And, and I just wanna say, I think it's important to notice, he does not instruct them to abandon the gift of tongues because of their misuse. Rather, he guides them towards correct use. And I think this is a really important perspective or principle for us to embrace. Misuse does not mean no use. Misuse should guide us towards right use. And so today, that's what I want us to do. I know that some of us have experiences where we've seen misuse and we've maybe been hurt by misuse. But what we wanna press into is not just to run from God's word because we've seen abuse. We wanna learn to walk into right use. And we believe that all scripture right, is useful for teaching, for training, correcting in righteousness. And so we wanna submit ourselves to the whole counsel of scripture. And and I'm hopeful that today that by uh, kind of demystifying the mysterious gift of tongues, that that will lead us into um, our pursuit of the gifts of the Spirit in in a sense of safety and trust. So I'm gonna gonna aim to show us what the gifts of tongues are today. I'm gonna talk about why I believe the gift is given, and then thirdly, how uh, we can tame the gift of tongues for the building up and the edification of not just the individual, but for the corporate church. So let's start, what is the gift of tongues? And you know, um, there's different words that could be used to define tongues, but I wanted to kind of, let's just start with my definition here of tongues. Um, So here we go. Tongues are mysterious spiritual languages given to us by God for the edification of the individual and the church. So mysterious spiritual languages given to us by God for the edification of the individual and the church. Now, there is a debate within the church So Christians debate whether or not the gift of tongues survived the apostolic age. So that would be like 55 to 95 AD or common era, however you want to call it. Now, if you fall in the camp like we do that believes that these gifts are for the church today, you would be called a continuationist or a charismatic, right? The other camp would be called um, the cessationist camp. So Two kind of different ways. Again, this is a minor doctrine. So these both views fall within, you know, you, you could still be a Christian and share different views on this particular subject. The interesting thing, though, about these two camps is that there's actually a third camp. And the third camp is probably the biggest camp in the American church. And that's the camp that believes these gifts have continued, but is not eagerly pursuing these gifts or practicing these gifts. That would be the camp that has like a theological framework for these gifts being in existence today, but is not practicing these gifts. And I I would just want to say, I mean, I would rather be in the cessationist camp that at least is practicing the theology that they believe than in the camp that believes one thing but is not practicing it, right? And so what we're hoping to do is to line up our theology with our practice. And I, I hope that that makes sense um, for you. So it is our strong conviction that the Holy Spirit still gives gifts to his churches, in particular, the gifts of tongues, but also the gift of prophecy, healing, miracles. And then of course, you know, most of us have no disagreement that the gift of teaching, for example, or the gift of encouragement, wisdom, is still for the church today. Um, I also would just wanna say that I think part of the reason that we have trouble with these more miraculous gifts is because we are a product of our culture. We're a product of our society. In particular, we find ourselves in America, which has been heavily influenced by rationalism and stoicism and even post-enlightenment implications. It would not be this way everywhere. In fact, uh, if you were to go to the United Kingdom, you would see churches that are much more um, spirit led, even uh, being, you know, even in combination with a strong emphasis for the Word of God. Word and spirit churches seem to be more prevalent in the u k than they are in America. For whatever reason in America, there seems to be word churches and spirit churches not a lot of churches that are combining those two points of emphasis but we what we know about the spirit we get from the word so we think to be a people of the word is to be a people of the spirit now um you know uh the the holy spirit is is not just a, a topic for the new testament or the new covenant um the, the holy spirit is is present in the old testament as well but but we don't really see the gift of tongues specifically described in the Old Testament like we do in the New Testament. However, there are some references to tongues in the Old Testament, and I wanted to start there this morning and kind of push us forward towards the new testament and then into modernity. So in the old testament you you probably remember in Genesis 11 maybe you're familiar with the story of the tower of babel. And uh, so this is actually one of the the times in scripture where we see language used and in this story the people were going to build this huge tower to get themselves to God and God is not a fan of this idea. So he actually comes to create confusion by creating multiple languages. And and so they were unable to communicate with one another because they were all speaking in different tongues. So that's actually one of the first times that we see God use tongues in the Old Testament. Then moving on to Daniel chapter five, there's a story of um, King Belshazzar. And uh, this this phrase, uh, the writing on the wall, you've probably heard this idiom, right? It's it's a part of our kind of cultural uh, language. Um, Well, in this story, King Belshazzar comes to Daniel because a a supernatural hand has written something on his wall and he cannot understand the language that it's written in. So he brings Daniel, who we know is gifted with the ability to interpret dreams and visions and whatnot. He brings Daniel in to see if he can interpret this. And actually the words, many, many, tekel, parson were written on the wall. And those were actually Aramaic words. And so Daniel was able to interpret this to the king. So this is an interesting example. In a sense, what we have is a foreign language written, and then someone with the gift of interpretation uh, being able to help. So the gift of tongues, shall we say, and then the gift of interpretation. And then finally, uh, we come to the book of Isaiah, where uh, in chapter 28, verses 11 and 12, uh, we have a prophecy that is actually referenced by Paul in chapter fourteen that we're going to be studying today. So this is a prophecy that God will one day use foreign languages to speak to His people. So this would be kind of the Old Testament arc for tongues. Uh, now, now coming into the New Testament, we we see the new covenant in which Jesus has given His church believers the gift of the Holy Spirit, right? And and as I've said before, this is where Jesus says, it'll actually be better for you when I go because I'm gonna leave you this gift and it will be with you at all times. And and then we see in Acts chapter two, right after uh, the resurrection or shortly after the resurrection, the believers are gathered uh, celebrating the festival of Pentecost in Jerusalem. And uh, this is what it says in Acts chapter two, starting with verse one. When the day of Pentecost came, So this is uh, maybe the most famous instance of tongues in the New Testament, but there's also a few others in the book of Acts. So in that instance, in Acts chapter two, those tongues that were given to these guys were actually intelligible. And it says that the foreigners who had come to Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost were, um, were able to understand. What was going on? So anyways, Acts Acts chapter 10 and 11, we see um, uh, Cornelius' house. They come to faith. Cornelius' family comes to faith. And it says that all of them start speaking in tongues upon conversion. Then in Acts chapter 19, uh, the Gentiles in Ephesus, same type of experience. They come to conversion and belief in Jesus. And upon conversion, they receive uh, the gift of tongues. And it says again that all are speaking in tongues. And then finally, in the New Testament, we have Paul's great treatise on the gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. And we see that tongues is a gift here. Paul seems to be talking about a gift. It's not given um, necessarily to all, it is given to some, even though he he wishes that we would all have this gift. Um, but it seems like these languages are that Paul's talking about are only understood with the gift of interpretation. So again, it's tongues, it's a little bit different than what we see in Acts, but but still the gift of tongues. So like I said, we're in this mini-series on unpacking the gifts, and uh, this is like our our home base, right? And so um, in the context of this passage, uh, what we're talking about here is the type of tongues that God gifts to an individual without revealing the meaning, except by also imparting the gift of interpretation. So in chapter 12, Paul actually talked about tongues and the gift of interpreting tongues as two separate gifts. Now in, in Acts chapter two, the thing that seems to be a little different is that when tongues were spoken, they were actually languages that people understood. Here it would seem that the gift of tongues are unintelligible without the accompanying gift of interpretation. Now, if you wanna get fancy, there's actually some fancy words. I thought it might be kind of fun to just mention that um, the word for this type of tongues is is a a term called glossolalia. Now, I know, that's a really funny sounding word. Uh, and And then the word xenolalia, that's the word for the type of tongues that we see at Pentecost. The xenolalia is the word uh, for tongues that uh, are act- an actual language, whereas glossolalia, that's the heavenly language, the angelic language that is uninterpretable or uh, unintelligible, I should say, without the gift of interpretation. So anyways, what we're talking today is about these um, mysterious languages that are unknown to humans except by the gift of interpretation. So there we go. A little bit of a working definition. what is tongues? It's history in scripture, and what type of tongues we're talking about today. But then the next question is, well, why would I want to speak in tongues? Now this gets to the heart of the matter. This is the question that i was uh, that I was asking Glenn Power as we rode together in the car that day. And maybe some of you are asking this question. I think even in conversation with my wife Megan uh, this week, you know she she admitted to asking this question herself, you know, I just Yeah. And some of us are in this place where it's like, I just, I'm not really sure why would I want this gift? What's this gift all about? So, you know, it's like Paul says that all these gifts are important, right? He also says that there's greater gifts. And then he encourages us often to eagerly desire the greater gifts, right? And he encourages the Corinthians to pursue them. So I want to give three reasons that we see in this passage for why we would want to pursue the gift of tongues. So first of all, I believe the gift of tongues is primarily for growing your own faith. This is what Glenn told me in the car that day, self edification of the believer. Paul says in in chapter 14, verse two, that anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. So he defines this as a language from humans to God. That's kind of cool. Like you and God having your own special language. In, in, in chapter 13, one, he actually says tongues of men versus tongues of angels. So this is like a supernatural language between you and God, a heavenly language. So it makes sense when he says in verse four that whoever speaks in a tongue edifies themselves. Sharing a special language with God is incredibly personally edifying. Tongues is also a supernatural language of prayer, a supernatural language of praise. In verses uh, uh, 14, 15, 16, and 17, Paul refers to this as praying or even singing in the spirit. And he, and he contrasts that to praying in understanding. So this seems to be a way of praying that's not just intellectual. Now, Now, Paul is not anti-intellectual. Paul is like the, I mean, probably the greatest theologian that's ever lived, right? Outside of Jesus Christ. Paul is theologically on point. He's super smart all would agree that so paul is not anti-mind he's he's for the renewing of the mind absolutely 100 percent. paul is a mind guy but he seems to be saying that there's a benefit to tongues that is a spiritual benefit and that's in contrast with the mind and and i wanted to to quote paul from the book of romans because i think it will help us understand this even further romans eight twenty six. some of you might be familiar with this he says that in the same way The Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. So here's my question. Anyone ever needed help with prayer, right? I mean, isn't this like a real experience for us? I mean, we're about to do a small group study specifically aimed at our prayer lives. Prayer can be difficult, right? Have you ever had things on your heart that that couldn't be expressed or that you just couldn't express with words? Can you relate to this like heartfelt type of prayer or level or dimension to prayer? Like sometimes English just isn't adequate to express to God what's on your heart. See, tongues though is a tool, I believe, for expressing the heart when the head just can't quite do it. And I think that's what Paul is getting at here. This is a supernatural language. It's a way to express your heart to God without the confines of English. Now, the second reason why I think the gift of tongues is something that we should pursue is because I think the gift of tongues can help grow not just your own faith, it can also help grow the church's faith. Now, this is probably partly why Paul seems to constantly be saying things like to edify the church, to build up the church. In fact, in in verse 12, he says, since you are eager for gifts of the spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church, right? These gifts are, are from God, they're for others. We should be trying to build up the church with these gifts. And Paul seems to be making the use of tongues in the corporate gathering more subtle, right? He's putting all kinds of constraints around this he's limiting he's restricting you know he's saying this is how the gift should be used only in these ways it can can feel like he's trying to downplay the gift of tongues in the corporate setting but at the same time he keeps using phrases like if you do it right it will edify the church so we should pay attention to this this isn't just a private prayer language self-edification evidently isn't the only benefit We can't just reduce tongues to to our private life. We're doing the church a disservice if we do that. See, tongues, when interpreted, builds up and edifies the church. Now, this can be difficult. It can be mysterious, hard to understand, but it's something that Paul seems to instruct us to aim for. And the key to, to taming the gift of tongues in the corporate setting is the gift of interpretation. Private life, building up your own faith. Corporate life, edifying the church. I wanna say something about this because even if we never see the gift of tongues in our setting used to edify the whole church in a corporate way, I believe that even the individual use of tongues can build up the church. And here's what I mean. Look, if the church is made up of individuals who are all growing in their private, personal faith, Will the water level of faith in our corporate body not also be elevated? Look, when you grow, we all grow. We need to have a church made up of individuals growing in their personal faith. As you grow, we all grow. The third reason, the third category of why the gift of tongues and why we should pursue the gift of tongues, I believe, is that tongues has the ability to grow unbelievers' faith, the evangelistic reason for tongues. Now, this is very obvious in Acts chapter two, right? They, they spoke in tongues. They didn't understand the tongues, but the foreigners who were gathered did, and they heard the gospel message. And that was maybe one of the greatest evangelistic days in the history of the church. Thousands came to faith through the gift of tongues at Pentecost. But what about these tongues? How are these tongues evangelistic. Let's go to verses 22, 23, 24, and 25. And I I will admit this is a bit of a hard section. So let's listen close and then I'll give you my perspective. Tongues then are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is not for unbelievers, but for believers. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and inquires or unbelievers come in, will they not say that you are out of your mind? But if an unbeliever or inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, they are convicted of sin and brought under judgment by all as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare. So they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. So this seems like a bit of a contradiction because at first in verse 22, Paul is saying that tongues are not for believers, but for unbelievers. But then he says, if an unbeliever comes into the church gathering and hears tongues, They'll be confused and think you're crazy. So here's what I think is going on. I don't think that there's actually a contradiction here. Okay, my best understanding is that what Paul's trying to say is that tongues can be a sign for unbelievers when used with the rules for order he's laid out. When paired with the gift of interpretation, we have intelligibility, and this is a very useful gift for unbelievers. Acts 2 seems to suggest that tongues when combined with intelligibility is a really evangelistic tool. But if the gift is not rightly ordered and someone walks into a gathering and tongues are all over the place, being spoken in a a chaotic way without intelligibility, this is actually a huge turnoff for the unbeliever and they'll think we're crazy. And I think that this is the actual experience that some of us have had when it comes to the gift of tongues and it's actually part of the reason why some of us are a bit hesitant towards the gift. Intelligibility, interpretation is the key for the use of this gift in the corporate setting. Otherwise, look, we just seem like crazy babbling people. So this brings us to how our tongues to be tamed. How are we gonna uh, operate in this gift as a body? And I wanna just give, three keys to to uh, taming this gift and um and, and i think that that would really help guide us as a church so the, the i want to say that we want to we want to operate in these gifts with expectancy we want to operate in these gifts with humility and we want to operate in these gifts with love and this is all coming from verse 26 27 and 28 verse 26 says when you come together each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction a revelation a tongue, or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. The first thing I notice in this verse is he says, when you come together, each of you has a hymn, a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or interpretation. He's not saying if you have these things, he's saying when you have these things. It seems as if Paul assumes, expects that these gifts will be present. We should expect that these gifts will be present. We should come expecting these gifts to be in operation. In in verse 18, Paul has said, "'I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you.'" What he see? He's actually bragging about the gift of tongues. It's like part of me wants to even correct Paul, like, Paul, you're a little prideful here. But see, Paul's bragging about a gift that he's received, knowing that the giver is the one who deserves the honor. For giving that gift. But he's, he's, he makes it sound as if this gift is something that we should be expectant for. Three times in this passage, Paul has encouraged us to desire the greater gifts, to eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit. Look, we're commanded not just to be open to, we're commanded not just to be cautious around or careful with, but to eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit. That's uh, chapter 12, 31, 14, verse 1, 14, verse 39. Three times he's encouraged us to eagerly desire the gifts. Look, and I just want to say this, taming the tongues, taming the gift of tongues. It's not about controlling tongues as if God's gift must be tempered, as if God's gift must be reined in. We wouldn't want too much power among us. It's about harnessing the gift for good. It, our neighbor trains horses, right? And, and she doesn't try to get these horses to act less like horses. Through her training, she wants to get them to thrive as horses. And that's kind of what this gift should look like in our midst. We're not trying to just like control it. We're trying to harness it for good. Now, this is very different than being forced or or coerced. And some of you have seen that or experienced that where the gift seems to be like forced on people. I think what Paul is describing is a gift that we're eager for, not something that must feel forced or coerced upon us. Look, I just want to say here at Exeter Valley Church, you'll, you'll never be pressured to speak in tongues. We will never coerce you or force you to demonstrate this gift. And we'll hold that intention with encouraging one another to eagerly desire the gifts of the spirit. But those are two different things. We can encourage one another to eagerly desire these gifts without pressuring or coercing one another to operate in these gifts. The second thing is that we're gonna operate in these gifts with humility. And remember, the goal is to build up the church. It's not to show off our own giftedness. So we're gonna walk in these ways with humility. And why? Because because that's the loving thing to do. And we need to operate thirdly in this gift with love. And we love others, I think Paul is saying, by playing by the rules. His rules, the instructions he's set up, are set up to love others well. And and how does he say that we're gonna do this? One at a time. We're not gonna all be speaking in tongues at the same time, one speaker at a time. And then the second thing, he gets super pragmatic. I love this about Paul. He even says two or three at a time is good. You don't have to worry about an endless open mic with Paul. He just knows there's like, there's a time constraint involved here, two to three at most. And then there's always going to be an interpretation. In the corporate setting, there will always be an accompanying gift of interpretation. Now, privately, since the language is for God and for self-edification, we wouldn't expect to see the gift of interpretation. But in a corporate setting, we should always see an accompanying gift of interpretation. Now, as I close, I just wanna, wanna kind of end with some personal reflections and then I'll lead us to prayer and to the table. But the first thing that I wanna say is that, you know, hey, gifting uh, does not contraindicate the need for growth. And sometimes we can think that we either get struck by a lightning bolt and we start ecstatically speaking in tongues or it's just not going to happen at all. But I think part of the reason that Paul is instructing these Corinthians in the gift of tongues is because these gifts can be developed over time. Just like the gift of teaching. Hopefully you're seeing me develop in a gift of teaching, right? Over time, you would expect that as I work on things, I try to improve I get better at this gift. The gift of teaching is a spiritual gift. It's a supernatural gift that can be grown in. We probably all believe that. That's not shocking to any of you. I wanna say that the gifts of tongues, the gift of prophecy, the miraculous gifts are also gifts that can be grown in. We shouldn't expect to just automatically arrive or not at all. The second thing I wanna say, or and the last thing that I wanna leave you with is Paul's words in 1 Thessalonians 5.19, where he says, don't quench the spirit. Look, first and foremost as a church, however God chooses to gift each of you as individuals, whatever gifts he he chooses to see flourish in our body, it would be my desire that our hearts would be eagerly desiring the gifts of the spirit. And I just want to ask you, are you Are you open to what God would have for you? Are you careful or cautiously pursuing these gifts? Or are you in a place where you are eagerly desiring the gifts of God in your life? As a coach, I can tell you, my favorite kind of athlete to coach is the athlete that gives 100% who demonstrates a hunger to be the very best they can be every day. You can rein that person in. The ones that are really hard to work with are the athletes that don't show up with a lot of desire, that don't show up with a lot of drive to get better. We wanna be the kind of people that Paul describes as eagerly desiring what the Lord has for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that uh, you build your church, Lord. It's you who does it, Father. And it's you who gives your people gifts, Lord. And we just acknowledge that the, the gifts that you've given us, the gifts you've given me, Lord, they're gifts. They have a giver. They're from you, Lord. And they're not for my, for my own um, platforming. They're not for our own platforming. The design of your gifts is for the, the building up of the church, Lord. And I, I know that we all come from different experiential backgrounds. And some of us have had bad experiences. Some of us have had good experiences, Lord, and we need to grow whatever we've 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 walked through. We need to grow through those experiences, Lord, and we want to be we want to be a people who eagerly desire your gifts, no matter what our background has been, Lord. And so we just offer ourselves to you this morning, Lord. We we open up our hands and we just uh, we receive your gifts, Lord. And we commit ourselves to walking in the the gifts that you've given us, not for our own platforming, Lord, but for the building up of your church, Lord. And so we just say, would you build up your church here, Lord? Would you bring your gifts to this place? And would you help us to steward them? In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, hey, it's Pastor Noel again. Just wanted to say thanks so much for joining us here at the Exeter Valley Church Podcast. And don't be afraid to join us in person on a Sunday morning, 930 a.m. at the Exeter Memorial Building.